Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. When I was a kid growing up, we used to play a game that many of you have played called hide-and-seek. You all played hide-and-seek before? Yeah? Okay, I don't know. It depends on when you grew up, because maybe you didn't play hide-and-seek, because my kids, you know, they play video games, so, uh, you know... And I get it, like, have you ever played hide-and-seek and then played a video game? Video game's way better. It's just it's way better. I'm like, man, these things are awesome. It's like all interactive. Anyway, uh, so we, did, we played hide-and-seek growing up. And do you remember what would happen, like, if you found, like, the perfect hiding spot? Like, you go to hide, and then someone comes to look for you, and you're, like, all hiding out in the yard or whatever. And you find that spot that's, like, under the porch, behind the lattice, or with a bush in front of it. And, and, you, and you're like, this is, like, the best hiding spot. So you get in there, you crouch in there, it's all awkward or whatever. And you have this thought when you get in there, you're like, oh, man, they're never going to find me. And it's like, oh, it's awesome, you know. And after about five minutes, you go, oh, man. They're never going to find me. I'm here, and I'm stuck down here, and no one is ever going to get to, like, and so you start, like, making noises and hoping someone will, like, catch you or whatever, and eventually what happens is you come out of that hiding spot, and you go find everybody else, and all the kids are, like, all hanging out drinking Kool-Aid because they quit the game, like, 20 minutes ago, and you were still stuck there under the porch, and then at that point, you have to announce how great your hiding spot was because they didn't find you, so they know, but you're just like, no, guys, I was, you know, here's where I was. It was, like, so awesome that I had the perfect spot because you can't just have a great hiding spot and not let anybody know about it. You, you got it, like, that's part, that's part of the contradiction built into hide-and-seek is, I want to hide so no one knows about it, but what fun is it if no one knows about it, right? And I just thought, well, that's silly. That's kid stuff. As adults, we don't do things and then not let people know about it, right? Like, we, we don't do that now as adults, or do we? Like, is there a part of us that, that goes, man, I can't, I, I got to do something and I want everyone to know about it. Um, I can't just be, just can't just sit there and just be something. I have to be seen being you know, like people got to see me do whatever the thing is. This is why we post our workouts to social media. This is why memes like this exist, right? If you work out and no one, and you don't post about it, did it really count? Is it really, do you, get the, do you get the physical benefit from it if you don't post a picture of you with your PR or whatever that you got for the day? Or like, what, how to, why, why is that a real thing that we all kind of understand? Why do we eat meals and post pictures of them? Why do, we, why do we do all this stuff? Why can't we enjoy the dopamine hit of the workout? Why do we need the dopamine hit of the workout plus the dopamine hit of all the likes on my social media posts about it? Like there's something going on there. There's something that I think is way before social media. Forever we have wanted to be good and to be seen being good. It's not enough to be good. And we've called it something over, over the years. You call it something different. I want to be holy, or I want to be righteous, or I want to be um, on the right side of history, or I want to be socially aware, or I want to be woke, or whatever the phrases that we use at the time. But it's, it's, uh, it's I am something, and I need everybody else to know that I am this thing. Well, Jesus understood that about the human heart, that there's something going on in us that we want to be seen when we do things, especially when we do good things. It's not enough to just do them. We have to have let everybody know about them. And so he speaks about this in his most famous talk. It's, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been going through it here these last few weeks to start off the year. And we're looking at stuff we, that, we, that Jesus says, and some of it's very challenging th- stuff. And we read it and we go, for real, Jesus? Like, is that really what you meant? Are we actually supposed to do that, the thing that you're talking about? And in this section in Matthew chapter 6 that we're going to look at in a moment, 
He talks about secrecy. We picked this idea up last week. What is it like to do things in secret, and what is the value of that? To do good things and not make a big deal out of them. And so he gives this principle about secrecy, and then, and then he points us to three examples, praying, fasting, and giving. And we talked about praying uh, last week. And so I want to pick it up in, in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start with verse 1, and I want you to see how he points to secrecy, and then, and, and then we'll, we'll look at how he connects that to money here in a moment. So Matthew 6, uh, starting with, with verse, with verse uh, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Okay, that's weird, right? We'll come back to that. That they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's this idea that, that Jesus puts out there and says, all right, um, when you practice your acts of righteousness, when you do good things, don't do them in a way that they are seen by others, or don't do them to be seen by others, really. It's okay that you do them. It's okay that some people maybe notice from time to time, but you, when you start doing things in order to be seen by others, this is where the problem comes in. Now, he points to something very specific in their culture that the hypocrites, or these people would, would give money to the synagogue kind of the local church, they'd give their money at church and they would sound trumpets. They would make a scene out of it, kind of, hey, which is weird. Like, think about a brass band or something, like, playing for you to give money to church. Like, that's kind of the vibe that we're going for here. And when he says that, people would know what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, some people make a big scene out on the street when they're, when they're going to give money. And that's weird. And we would think, like, that's, that's pretty weird, man. Like, why are you why are you doing that? Why are you making such a show of it? But he, he's pointing out that people do this in order to be seen. We don't do that in our culture that way. But I, I was thinking about it, and I think we do something like that in our, in our own way. We give money, um, and then they name buildings after us, apparently. I mean, I've never given enough to know, but apparently... Uh, you give money to something, and they'll name a building, a wing, a, a room, a, whatever, a chair, whatever. They'll name something after you because you gave money. And if you go to, like, theaters and stuff, you'll see on a wall, um, uh, you, you'll see that, that there's a plaque on the wall, like gold-level donors and diamond donors and all that. In fact, this room is named after somebody. Didn't know that, did you? It's on the wall outside. You can look it up when you get it. This room is named after someone. This is what we do in our culture. Now, I don't know if the person giving the money... Um, I don't know if the person giving the money says, hey, I'm only going to give you a million dollars for that if you put my name on it. Or if the people receiving the money in the school or wherever it is are like, if you give us a million dollars, we'll name anything after you you want, you know, and then that's what they do. Um, but there's, there's something there where it's like, I give and I'm known and everybody gets to see it and I want everybody to see it. I want people to know that I'm the one who gave to this thing. Right? There, there's, there's that in our culture, which is a way of, of sort of showing our money when, when we, we give it. And, I, and it gets weird. I don't know people's motives of their hearts, so I don't know why everyone does that. But you could see how it can get weird for us. You see it with companies. Companies are like, we give back, you know, we're, we're this company. We make bajillions of dollars, but we give back this money to this cause. And I get that, and I think they should, and I think it's a great thing, but when you make a big deal out of it, doesn't it kind of become a, just another piece of your PR? Doesn't it kind of become cheap advertising? Like, hey, we also do this. Again, I don't know all the motives of their heart, but it gets weird for us. We, we, we can 
We, our motives can get messed up really quickly when we give money and we make a scene about it. Dallas Willard says this about secrecy. He says, secrecy, rightly practiced, enables us to place the public relations department entirely in the hands of God. We allow God to decide when deeds will be known and when light will be noticed. I love that. What would it look like for us to do things secretly? Not the bad things in secret, but to do good things and not make a big deal out of them. What would it look like to go to the gym and not post about it? To eat a great meal and never take a picture of it on Instagram? What would it look like to give money and not tell anyone that you did it? Because when we give to be seen, our motives are really applause. And when you get the applause, that's all you're getting from it. Now, Jesus talks about uh, the secrecy concept. Um, he talked about prayer and fasting, but he also talks about it in terms of giving money. Now, I want to look at what he says. We'll jump down to verse 19. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus goes right to something that's going to be pretty uncomfortable for us in this room, I think. When you, when you start talking about money, when you start about treasure, you talk about that in modern America, I think that gets very like, ooh, okay, hold on. Like, let's talk about some other things. Um, but he, he talks about our, our treasure. And is, is our treasure money? Yeah, it is, but it can be more than that. When I was a kid, I had a, a teddy bear, and I remember the shade of brown that this bear was, and I named him Teddy because I was unimaginative uh, as a child, and this bear, I remember, had um, Velcro in his hands, and it would stick together like this, and it had a baby bear that hung out like in there, which I named Baby Teddy, uh, and um, this bear was awesome. I did everything with this bear. This was, this was my, my, my bear. I loved this bear. Um, I had like, um, I, took, <laughs> I took the Bee Gees album, you know, like the Bee Gees, uh, and you know what an album is, you know, like with records, so it was one of those that were like, if you're old enough, you remember this, they had these big like trifold, and it was like their faces, and I made that a backdrop of a stage, and I put my bear on the stage, and I had like a Lego guitar for him and everything, it was amazing. I took, guys, I took colored water, I, like, I put food coloring in water and shone a flashlight on it so it would make a light show on my bear, it was incredible. I digress, <laughs> but I love this bear, this is the point of the story, uh, and um, you know, do you know what happens when you love a, bear, a stuffed animal so much? It becomes alive. Uh, kidding, that's a book. It didn't, I was disappointed to find out that did not happen. Uh, what happens is if you love a bear or something like that so much, it gets threadbare, it gets like uh, all the hair, the little fur of it starts coming off, and, it, and then the stuffing comes out, and then it's like arms are dangly and stuff, and it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a lump at this point of a bear. Um, and that's what happened to my bear. I love that bear so much, it just became a lump. But at no point could you come to me in my childhood and be like, you know, your bear's getting old and busted. We need to get you a new bear and buy me the exact same bear. You don't do that unless you're a monster. You don't take away a kid's, like, threadbare bear because, and the threadbare baby teddy, you know? Like, you just don't do that um, because it was my treasure. 
It was the thing I loved. It was the thing I had to have that, that one. It was a big deal to me. Now, as an adult, I don't have a teddy bear. But I have things that I love. And I have things that I treasure and that are like so valuable to me. And I bet, I bet you do too. In fact, one way to discover, if we're talking heart here, one way to discover what is nearest and dearest to your heart is, to, is this statement. If I lost blank, I'm not sure I could recover. What goes in that blank for you? If I lost this job, that money, if I lost this house. Now, what I want to say is, because I believe in relationships, what I want to say is that I would put a name in there. If I lost my wife or my kids or whatever, I'm not sure I could recover. And I, and I get that. I, I get that is you know, central uh, for a lot of us in our hearts. Um, but God is calling us to be, for him, for him to be first place in our hearts and everything else falls second. And that is really challenging stuff. To think that God is maybe the only thing we would put in that blank. That's challenging. That's where we go for real, Jesus. Like, is it, is our, our relationship with God is really supposed to be like that. And Jesus points us to these things because he knows that our heart is always going to go where our treasure is. The thing that we value the most, our heart will naturally follow that thing. Um, he knows that the human heart is an idol-making factor. We take good things and we make them great things. We take great things and we make them ultimate things. And we kick out God out of the central place in our heart and we make all of these other things. And nothing does that to us quite like money does. 10% of Jesus' teachings are on money. Can you imagine if a church today, if 10% of their teaching was on money? Like, that's a lot of sermons. We're teaching it today because we're following along with a whole plan for the year with Core 52, and this is through the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the teaching on money. That's why we're talking about it today. But a full 10% of everything Jesus said was about it because he knows what a big deal it is. He taught about money more than he taught about heaven and hell. And I always wonder, when Jesus taught about heaven and hell, were people in the crowd like, that's interesting, but not very practical. Like, what am I supposed to do today, Jesus? Like, I need fish for today. I need, to, I need something for my life today. Why are you talking about faith and joy and heaven and hell and all that religious stuff? And then Jesus goes and teaches about money and where people like, okay, hey, hang on, that's a little too, why don't you just talk about faith and heaven and hell and stuff? Because that's a little too, like, hands off my wallet, Jesus. Like, it's getting a little, hitting a little too close to home. You know, I, I, I wonder about that. But the truth is, money is not a, just a practical topic, it's a religious topic as well. You can't separate money from heart, and this is the point Jesus is making. You can't say, I love God, and then not do anything financially or, 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 or spend your money in a way that does not reflect your love for God. You can't separate your relationship with God with how you view money, because as Jesus points out, your heart will always follow your treasure. So whatever you're treasuring, that's where your heart's gonna go. When you put your money into stocks, into the stock market, your heart goes there. You, you care when that little number's green and it's making more, and you, you're upset when it turns red and it's not making more. When you put money into education, you care more. You go, oh, this class has better be great because I care about it because I spent a certain amount of money. In fact, the opposite is true. If you don't spend enough money on something, you don't care about it enough. Here's an example, a gym membership. Gym membership, they got those things now like for like 10 bucks a month. $10 a month to be a member with like no joining fee and like no commitment ever, in case you're like not into commitment. They're like, you don't have to, you, they're like, just give us $10 a month, you don't even have to see us. We don't mind, it's fine. And unsurprisingly, that's about what people do with it, right? We're just like, yeah, okay, I'll join the gym. Did you know joining the gym will not get you in shape? 
you gotta have to go there. But they don't ha- they're not asking enough of you. If that gym membership costs the same as my mortgage, I would show up. I would, act, in fact, I would ask to live there. I would be like, can I just be here all the time? You know, I'd be, I'd be hitting the weights. I'll be like, when's dinner coming? You guys got to cut out back because I'm going to, I'm just going to stay here if that's okay. You know, like, because when it costs something, you're in it just completely. Your heart's in it. You're, you're fully in that thing. And that's, and that's when you see results or that's when you see change. Um, and, and yes, Jesus teaches us about money in this passage, but he's really teaching us about the human heart. And he wants us to think that through. If you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is what he tells us to do, if we're, we're going to really do that, you have to talk about your wallet as well and, and what you're doing. Now, I wish that wasn't true. I wish you could just love God with your mouth. God, I love you. I'm not going to cuss, and I'm going to say nice things. I'm going to sing worship songs, and I'm going to be kind. If I can just do that with my mouth, then I have loved you, and we're good. I'll pray. Heck, I, I'll even do a sermon if you want. Like, I'll just, Whatever. As long as we can just keep it on like a verbal level of love, we're good. But that's not it. There's more to it. There's, there's, there's more to it. In fact, Jesus puts it in very stark terms. He says, you cannot worship God and money. Which is weird because you would think he would say you cannot worship God and Satan and put them opposed. But that's not the struggle for most people. Most people aren't going to join the church of Satan and get a pentagram and get all satanic. Most people are going to just be quietly pulled away by the love of money and treasuring other things and pursuing those things. And so Jesus goes right for that stuff. So what do we do about that? Because really what we're talking about is, is kind of the, the, the mix between greed and generosity. Greed, you know, I want more and I got to have it all. And generosity, I'm going to give away. Right? We're talking about that. And those are hard things to nail down. Greed is a sin. Everybody knows this. But it's a sin nobody thinks they have. That's problematic. And it's one you don't notice, right? Like, you know, you know when you're angry. You know when your anger is sinful. You know when you lust. I've had people come say, I'm, I have a lust problem, I have an anger problem. People say that. But you don't know when you're greedy. In fact, you think usually greedy is something other people are. Right? It's, it's hard. And it's hard in a culture that, can, that, that is basically like, hey, you should buy more and more stuff. It's hard to know if you're greedy in, in that because it's, it's basically like, in the air, it's the oxygen. You don't notice the oxygen, right? We don't notice when we're greedy. And in the same way, generosity is hard to notice. Do you know when you're being generous? Like if you gave a million dollars away, is that generous? I don't know. Do you have 500 million? Because then a million's not that much, right? Like it, it's hard, it's kind of hard to nail, nail down. But I think the only way to be generous is to give money away and actually track it and, and be intentional with it. If you eat everything on your plate and then look around at other people's plate and try to get some of their food, that's greedy. But if you take everything that's on your plate and you intentionally don't eat all of it, that's generous. If you give it away, you go, hey, th- this is mine, but I'm not even going to get all this. So if you spend every dollar that you, that you make and then you're going to borrow more, that's greedy. But if you don't spend all you have and you look to intentionally give it away, that's generous. When you give money away, intentionally sacrificially, and you, which means you give till it hurts. What that does over time is that it forms your character. It, it, you grow into being an outward-focused, compassionate, generous person when you're intentionally giving money away. Now, when Jesus' audience in the first century, a Jewish audience, when they heard this, 
You got to understand their frame of reference when Jesus was talking about money and giving. When he talks about tithing, tithing means tenth. And so when Jesus tells, talks about tithing, which he does in other spots in the Gospels, um, the audience is going to hear that and go, okay, tithing, all right, we're supposed to give away 10%. So what the Jews would do, and this is based on Old Testament law, they would take all the, whatever money they make, they would give 10% away to the, to the church at the time, the temple, the synagogue. They would give money, and then the priests who ran that would live off of that 10%. So people would give that 10%, and then the church would use it, the synagogue would use it to, to help people. That was their 10%. But in addition to that, they took up a special offering for like a sacred meal in Jerusalem. So there was a percentage they had to give for that. Um, every third year, they had to get, take a special offering for widows and orphans and, um, and foreigners that were living in their land. So there was special things for that. So on average, when Jesus talks about money, he's talking to people who on average are giving away 19% of their income. And every third year, they're giving away about 27%. That's a, a rough estimate. So that's a lot that they already give away. In addition to that, um, they had a concept from Leviticus chapter 19 from the Old Testament law about gleaning. Listen to what it says, Leviticus 19, it says this, when you reap the harvest. Now keep in mind, nomadic tribe who now has land, now you have land, you have to figure out some rules about how do you handle land and how are you going to farm. Listen to what he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So in this holiness code of Leviticus, when God's telling his people how to be the people of God, he says, here's what you do. You got a field this size, you only farm this part of it. You, you leave the edges. And it's not specific how far, but you're going to leave a percentage of your field. In other words, all the income you're going to make, you could make from this land, you're not going to take it all. You're going to leave it, and you're going to leave it for the poor, for the sojourner, for somebody wandering through. And when you're harvesting, because harvesting in that day is already inefficient, he makes it even more inefficient and says, when you harvest and stuff falls to the ground, just leave it and let someone else come and have it. This is justice. This is generosity. All of that built into the system of what God expects of his people to be. This isn't for the whole world, but for the Jews, he's saying, hey, don't harvest all your land, leave it, and be generous with the people that are around you. So when Jesus talks about tithing, he's talking to a people who, are, who already give away 19 plus percent of their income, and the really religious ones gave away not just income, they gave away nine, you know, 10% of their spices and 10% of their herbs and 10% of their, all their oil and all their stuff. So Jesus is talking about people who are used to giving away a large percentage and who are used to not even harvesting all that they could because of the gleanings concept. And then they're occupied by the Romans. The Romans come in, conquer that area, and then tax the people in order to pay for the Roman army, which the Jews hated. So in addition to the 19 to 27% they're already giving away, they have to then pay this, this, a bunch more in taxes as well. So Jesus comes along and tells people to be generous. And a lot of people could be like, yo, I give away like almost like so much of, of my of my money. Um, and he's challenged them just to think about generosity because it's a heart thing. And his words would maybe make them uncomfortable. And they certainly make us uncomfortable because the idea of money hits close to home for us. And I get that. When you start talking about giving money away, we sit there and go like, yo, I got bills to pay. I don't know if you've noticed healthcare costs have gone way up. Education costs have gone way up. Housing costs have gone way up. 
And it's very easy to be, when you start thinking about money and think about your own money in, in, in relation to this topic, it's easy to be like, yo, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. And maybe you are. Maybe you are. And, and, and giving money away is like, man, I just, I can't. It's so tight right now. I, I get that. And maybe you're not. Maybe there's more you could do. I think for most people, the reason they don't give money away is not that they don't have enough. It's because they don't intend to do it. They don't make a plan and go, this is the thing I'm going to do. This is an actual, like, but I'm going to sit down with a budget and really decide and really go and, and, and do this thing. And, and, and think about in your own heart as I say, okay, just the idea of tithe. If I go, oh, give 10% of your money away. What does that kick up in you? Well, if you know how much money you make in a month, you run the math pretty quickly. 10% is an easy one to figure out. Move a decimal point or whatever. And you're like, oh. For some of you freak out because math is involved. You're like, oh. But, it, but, it's, but it's sort of like, whoa, that's, that's a lot of money. Like in comparison, well, it doesn't matter how much you make. It's still a, a chunk of it, right? You're like, well, that's, that's a lot. Freaks me out. Um, and, and, and right away you go, if someone says give away 10% of your money, right away we go, that's a great idea for somebody else. There's someone who should do that in here. And you start looking around. I wonder who would do that. I'm not going to do it because I, financially I have, you know, we have all our reasons why it doesn't apply to me. And then we say things like, well, is that, should we give net or gross of our money? Should I, like, because, you know, I'm already taxed and I got this taken out for 401k. Is it net or gross? That is the wrong question to ask about generosity. Like, how generous do you want to be? I don't know. You decide. Figure that out. Like, how, you go, God, I, I love you in a gross way. I don't know. A net way. I don't, I don't know. Like, but it's weird, right? Because, and this is why I've never made a big deal at this church, like, oh, everyone should give 10% and like put the number on it. I think 10% is a great example and it's good to look to and go, okay, let's, let's start there and go, okay, how am I doing or whatever. It's a great example, but it's not a rule. It's not a hard and fast rule. Because if it was a hard and fast rule, that'd be awesome for us because we love rules. It'd be like, check, I did it or I didn't do it. And rules are great for Scrabble, baseball, Things like that where you like have clear winners and losers and all that kind of stuff. Not so great for relationships in the human heart, right? I mean, are there rules in relationships? Kind of, some unwritten ones. You'll find out if there are some if you break them. But I mean, really, relationships aren't rules things. You don't buy a Hallmark card, uh, you know, a good Hallmark card. You know, I love you so much. You're, you're the most wonderful person. Happy birthday. That's a love card. Your card doesn't say... You fulfill my requirements. Thank you. Happy birthday. Like, it's weird. It's weird. It's because it's a relationship that we're talking about. We're talking about generosity. And these are things of the heart. These aren't things about rules. And it's, and it's good that it's not a rule. Because the, the fact is, if, if tithing is a rule, oh, I have to give 10% or, or else, you know then we're gonna feel self-righteous when we do it and we're gonna feel ashamed when we don't. And that's not the point. The point is to examine our hearts and, and to be as generous as we possibly can. Now let me tell you a little bit about how giving works at this church because people give here um, and this church has, has uh, exists. There's the generosity of people, many people in this room who give. Um, and. We have a budget for the year 2020. The budget set at like 730,000, um, and that's uh, we 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 rent. So we we have space. So we rent Cartwheels and Coffee and own that business that's there that serves families in Richmond Monday through Saturday, and then on Sunday 
our children's ministries in there. We rent this space. You know what this space does all week long. Um, but I love it on Sunday the best. I think it's, I think it's great in here. Uh, but we rent this space, and we give them money so they can do more of their, their, their job here at the Bird. Um, and then we bought 2810, the property there, and we use that property to, uh, to, to serve the community. So we do, we're going to do a prayer and worship night there this week. Um, we do small groups there. We do classes, offices, trainings. We have nonprofits that come in and do stuff in there. We have some for-profit entities that rent that space from us. So the church actually owns two businesses, um, and we want those businesses to do well financially because the better they do, the more they can offset the mortgage that we pay there and, and takes the burden off of the church as a whole in order to pay that. So we want those businesses to do well fi- financially, um, and, and, it's, and it's a pretty cool thing. Um, uh, you may realize this, or maybe not. I don't know what your church experience has been, but what we have here in Carytown is pretty unusual in the country. Um, and I know that when I talk to other church planters or, or pastors around the country, they're like, you guys are doing what and how? Um, I, was, I was on a podcast two months ago called The Embedded Church. It's out of uh, Tacoma, Washington. They do this podcast about churches that are in cities all over the country. And they, they talked to us about the different businesses and things that we've done in Carytown. And they were like, and they had me explain it. And when you explain it, you realize, man, God has done something here. Like, this is kind of cool to see. Um, we'll, we'll post a link tomorrow to the podcast if you want to listen to it, because you can hear a bit of our backstory and how we got to where we are today. But when you kind of step back and look, you go, God is the hero of the story, and he's done some really cool things here um, in, in the city, in, in Carytown and, and beyond, and we're excited to just be a part of it. So when you give to this church, um, it, it covers things like that, but it also, we do work in Vietnam. We've been uh, there for 10 years. We're supporting the Brent family, not just in the offering that we gave at Advent, but we're committed to supporting them in a monthly amount as well. Uh, and we're doing that so that they can move over to Central Asia area and spread the gospel there. Um, there's a lot of local things going on here, partnerships that we have in foster care and uh, homelessness and, and just sort of poverty alleviation and just different things that are going on around the city that we're involved in that we give to. Um, we now have a finance team that, that tracks it all, looks at income and outgoing, and they, and they advise and they say, hey, here's some suggestions on ways, to, ways to, to give to make sure we're being good stewards of the money that has been entrusted to us. And so there's good stuff there. Um, but as I look uh, at our budget for 2020, it is not where it needs to be. Um, we, we have trimmed it really hard and cut back on things in order to just be as tight as we can with our spending. Uh, but, but our giving is not quite where it needs to be to, uh, to, to do the things we feel like God's calling us to do. Um, at, in any church, in any organization, pretty much 20% of the people give 80% of the money. And that's true here as well. Um, and so some people would be discouraged by that, like, man, only 20% of people. I look at it as an opportunity and go like, hey, there's a chance for all of us to kick it up a notch in order to, um, to, to, to do what God's calling us to do. If we would all kick it up. So if, you, if you've never given before, if you would start, that would be helpful. If you give some, if you can kick it up a little bit, um, we, can, we can get to where we need to be as a church. Um, a lot of people hate asking for money. And I, I get that. If you had to ask money to like go on a mission trip or whatever, you'd be like, oh, I don't want to ask people for money. Because we don't want to be a burden on other people. Um, there's a pride in us that's like, oh, I shouldn't have to ask anybody for anything. Um, I actually went to a church planter boot camp before we launched this church. Did you know there's such a thing? That's a thing in the world, church planter boot camp. It's like, it's like regular boot camp, but with less push-ups and yelling. 
Um, so uh, we had church planter boot camp, and one of the things they tell you there is you've got to be comfortable asking people to give to the mission of what you're doing. Um, you, you, you've got to be comfortable with a, a conversation about money. Um, and and nobody, nobody's like, oh, this is fun. I can't wait to talk about money. I mean, I knew it was coming. I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. Uh, but here's the deal. I, I believe in what's happening here. Um, I believe in what God is doing and expanding the kingdom, his kingdom, through the, the mission of, of this church. Um, I've always heard it said, the local church is the hope of the world. Um, I actually believe that, but I would nuance it this way. I would say Jesus is the hope of the world, but the local church is the expression that he chose to, to work through and to work with. And you see it all over the globe where you see God's people working together and, and ministering and doing incredible work. Uh, and you see the kingdom of God expanding um, all over the world. And so if you don't know me, maybe you're newer here, you'll be here a few months, or um, I met someone this week who'd been here for three years and we had not really talked. <laughs> I was like, oh, hi. Um, if you don't know me, it would be really easy, easy to be cynical because you go, oh, like churches, they're always asking for your money. And I get the cynicism. I see the articles about the pastor who gets like a, the church raises money for the pastor to get a jet. Like I, I get that cynicism. Um, that's not who we are. That's not, that's not what we're about. Um, we just believe in what God is doing here. At the end of the day, area 10 is, is, these, is these things. Um, when, when people come here, and we've talked about this in staff recently, here's what we want. We want people to know God. We want to connect you with your creator through Jesus. That's, that's our hope for everybody in this room, that you will know God, that you will find your people. You'll get connected with some other people and, and build some community because we all need that. Know God, know other people, and, and then you'll make an impact. We will uh, do something together. We've called that experience, explore, engage. We've called it different things over the years, but that's it. We want you to meet God and be in relationship with him, get baptized into him. We want you to know other people, find your people, um, and we want you to make an impact. And money's a part of that in that when we pull, when we pool our resources and our money, we, we fuel some things and we are able to make a greater impact in the city than any one of us could make individually. And so, um, that's, I guess, my, my challenge. Um, money's a heart issue, and, and I want us to all think about where, where are our hearts and, and what are we doing with the, the limited resources that we have, because we all have, no matter how much you make, a lot or a little, we all just have some. And, and, and what are you doing with that, and, and how's your heart in that? Um, and, and can we be intentionally, sacrificially generous to see the kingdom of God expand here in, in our generation and in, in the time that we have on earth in, in this city. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, teaching us so carefully about the heart and all the things that get in the way and all the things that snag us and frustrate us and snare us and pull us off track. God, I, I'm challenged by your teaching again that we can't serve you and money. And God, I think about ways in my own life where money is a hindrance and a challenge, um, and so God, I, I pray we all look at our hearts as we ha as we think through this. Um, God, may we be generous people who um, are generous towards you and towards others. Uh, may that be may that be said of us. May it may it be true of us that we are just people who who uh, who give.
gospel for, for the expansion of the kingdom of God here. Thank you, Lord. Um, bless us as we, uh, as we seek to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.